0: All right, this morning, we're going to be um, looking at an area that I think is an important area, and it's one that I continually strive to grow in. There's not one of us that are perfect in this area, but we are still in January, the beginning of the year. How many of you, raise your hand if you do New Year's resolutions, raise your hands. Nobody, nobody, Cole does, we got one. I used to, and then I got tired of feeling guilty a few weeks in, and so I quit. (laughs) Really, though, the desire to do these kind of resolutions is because we desire to steward our life well. And we desire to improve. And so what do we do? We think of all the areas we need to improve, and we make a New Year's resolution. And so we've been talking a lot in the month of January about our vision moving forward. We've been um, talking a lot about the gifts that God has given to us when Darren preached on multiplication. And I want us to, coming into 2023, I want us to spend a little time in this area of stewardship. This is not a how-to message. I'm not, I mean, you can teach a whole quarter of classes on stewardship. And so you're not going to leave here having found the secret, the secret formula to steward your life well. You're going to come away having your heart challenged in areas that keep us from stewarding well. And last week, Brother Bill gave a word about expansion, if you remember that word, about us expanding outward. And, and I said, we have, if we're going to expand, we have to drive our roots down deeper, right? And so you cannot expand well if, if you aren't stewarding well what you already have. And so I feel this deeply in my heart because even as he was giving that word, I mentioned last week that we have a couple of ministries coming, and I am so excited about them. I'm going to share here a few minutes about them. Um, we are. We, you heard us talk last year about our uh, our ministry that we desire to begin for those recovering from addictions, and and we are excited because we have a team that in March are going to begin the process of being trained to lead in that ministry. It's very. I know. I feel like you should be more excited. We're going to help people come out of addictions. <clears throat> This took us a while because this is not a Celebrate Recovery. We've looked at that program, we've visited that program, and we just didn't feel like, although Celebrate Recovery has been very helpful to churches and people, um, one of the strongest values that we carry is that we need Holy Spirit to empower us to overcome in life. And and Celebrate Recovery is not a Spirit-filled program. And so finally, finally, after years of saying, why doesn't Teen Challenge come up with a program for the local church? Teen Challenge came out with a program for the local church called Ready Now. Yes. And so they will begin training with Ready Now in March, and when they complete that training, we'll be able to launch the ministry Ready Now. So we're very excited about that coming down, if you would keep that in prayer, the second area that we are expanding into, I'm so excited about. In fact, as much as I love being in Petersburg, I'm a little bummed I'm not going to be here next week. Um, I don't know if any of you have noticed, but within, when we first came to this town, the one thing that was very difficult for me is that it was predominantly a white community. And, and we came from a place where we had an African church that met. And we had a Hispanic ministry, and I loved that. And so we have been seeing a growing community here in Lincoln within the Hispanic community. And nobody is reaching them that I know of. And so I, I told the elders, I feel God's stirring that we need to do this, that we need to do this. And so last week, Darren and I met with Sonia Woolsey. Many of you know Sonia. Sonia was a part of, drove over for a long time from Galesburg to participate here. She's been on missions trips with us from this house. Sonia is from Mexico, and her long-term plan is to go home to Mexico and plant a church there, which Darren and I years ago committed, if you go back and plant a church in Mexico, we will help you. And so, Sonia has agreed to come and be our pastor into our Hispanic community. I'm so excited. So, she will be traveling every week here to be a part of that. She's already got things uh, rolling uh, with a couple of things. So, Sonia will be here next week to share her heart for what this ministry will look like. And then she will be translating Darren's sermon into Spanish. Next week. And so it's going to be very exciting. I think uh, Bob Morrow, he's got a crew of guys on his, um, his business that does roofing, and he was going to invite them next week um, since she'll be translating into Spanish. So it's going to be a fun Sunday. I hope that you'll uh, be looking forward to it. We've got some ways we're praying to move, break into that community, and begin to minister to them. But I'm going to let her share that. So just keep these ministries in prayer. We believe we got to keep moving in and and touching our community. And these are a couple of ways that are coming up here in the spring. So praise the Lord. So with that, I know there's some rejoicing, I think. Thank you, elders. Appreciate that. (laughs) I think I got one clap over there from Derek. Yes. Thank you, Derek. So with that, though. Even as we expand, we want to increase our stewardship, both as a church and individually, because a church full of healthy stewarding people is a healthy church. Now, when I say stewarding, I'm not just, you, sometimes you hear that word and you think just financially. Listen, this is a, a one part of your life. To be a steward of something is to manage that which has been given to you. And how many of you know That all things come from our Father. And so all of these areas are areas that, according to Romans 14, each of us shall give an account of himself to God one day. And so I want my account to be a good account. And so today we're going to spend a little time with that. Now there's this mandate that has been given to us from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, we are given the command, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. This is the command that has been given, the mandate that has been given to us. And this is a mandate, this was still, this was before they had given over, right? This is still a good place in, in the and the perfectness of the beginning, be fruitful and multiply. Now, we know that uh, mankind has not done so well. And so, especially in terms of God's people Israel, they didn't always do what they were supposed to do, right? And often they ended up being taken into bondage. The Lord allowed them to go into bondage in order to turn their hearts back to God. And so in one of the places, in Jeremiah, there is even within the place where they are in restraint, constraints, bondage, even within this place, there is this mandate to be fruitful and to multiply. And so in Jeremiah 29, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to your husband to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city. For I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. And so this mandate is given both in good situations and in difficult. You're in a place of bondage. It is not your home. And still the mandate to be fruitful and to multiply and to increase is given. And so today we're going to look at how. How. How do we continue to be fruitful and to multiply and to increase? Because it's correlated with stewarding it well, the gift well, right? And so I was, as I was studying this, I came across a story. The story is well known in this person's family. Their grandparents had driven up from California one evening And stopping at a gas station along the Oregon border, they purchased snacks, gas, as they often did, a lottery ticket. Thinking little of it, they stuffed the ticket in a pocket and continued. At their hotel, Grandpa stayed up to watch the news. The lottery numbers were to be announced. As the numbers were picked from a whirling globe of balls, the first number matched, the second number, and the third. At this point, she shakes Grandma awake. She wipes her eyes as they watch the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh numbers match. All seven numbers. Their minds could not ascertain what had transpired in a few short seconds. How much did they win? What does this mean? That night, they won $4.6 million. Say, I'll take that. After a sleepless night, they drive home, place the tickets on their dining room table. The winnings helped our family in profound ways. Debts were paid, vacations had, tuitions covered. But the story had a dark side. A profound gift that created momentary bliss eventually led to bickering infighting, and anger in the family. After nearly 50 years of marriage, 50 years of marriage, grandma and grandpa's marriage ended. Family members stopped talking, and a cold bitterness took over. By the grace of God, healing and reconciliation has begun in our family, yet the fact remains no one knew how to steward such a gift. And, you know, I think of this often um, when we're praying for, you know, we believe in the miraculous here. We've seen the miraculous here. But there's also this place that God is our, not just our God and our Savior, he's our Father, right? Right? And sometimes we're praying, God, get me out of this. I want this instant miracle to rescue me. And yet, as a good father, God sometimes in that moment isn't so concerned with your immediate rescue as he is you learning how to steward something well. Do you keep, do you keep giving money to the child that just squanders it? Do you keep giving bad food to the child who is having health issues? No, you you teach them. You teach them, okay, you, you have diabetes. Here's how you need to eat, right? And so there's this place of stewardship that is about not just God rescuing us from our messes, but God saying, I want to keep you from being in the mess to begin with. And so it's this place, and this is why when we pray, we pray in faith, and faith comes from hearing the Lord and hearing his word. And so when I, when I go to pray for somebody, Holy Spirit, what is happening here? Is this the moment when you divinely, supernaturally want to release healing? Or is this the moment that you want to begin to teach somebody how to change their habits, change their choices, change their life? Our Father knows we are his children. He knows what we need. And so when we talk about stewardship today, it's this interesting thing of, Lord, everything you give me, I want to do well. And, and there may be places then in my doing it well that I need the miraculous to come. But as long as it depends on me, I want to do it well with what I have. And so we're gonna take a look at at this today. And I want to we're gonna get to this at the end, but I just wanna say from the beginning that this is not a, a place of shame. This is not a place of condemnation because there's not one person in here that has successfully been perfect at stewarding every part of their life. I have areas that I continually am calling on the mercy of the Lord for when I have failed, and for his grace for my weaknesses. And and so there's no condemnation as we talk about this, and there's no shame. There's just an opening, even as we saying today, I, I'm wide open, Lord. There's nothing, there's no place that you cannot walk through in my life. I, I, I would love to say I've done it perfect, Lord, but I haven't. And, and so come in and walk through my life. And that's what we're inviting him to do today, is just to walk through our lives and, and do what he knows to do inside of us, okay? And so a, a wonderful example that you often hear about is the life of Joseph. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on him, but Joseph had the dream that, right, his family was going to bow down to him and being young and unseasoned, you know, he brags a little bit about that and finds himself sold by his brothers into slavery. And he takes over the house of, of one leader. And he does so well, right, that he makes him head of the household until he's falsely accused and put into prison, where he does so well that he rises up to be the leader of the prison, take care of the prison. And so until he finally gets called out to interpret a dream of Pharaoh's. And as a result of that dream, not just the dream, but then him giving a plan of action to Pharaoh, he becomes second only to Pharaoh in the land. And so you can go back and read his story if you don't know it later. But his story is one of out of the difficult places... He prospers. And so often, if you have a, a victim's spirit, a woe is me spirit, you always have an excuse for why you can't do well, why you can't overcome. And yet we see through Joseph's life that it's not determined upon your circumstances. Joseph's life is this convergence of the destiny of God, the favor of God a right attitude, and a good work ethic. And all of these things combined causes him to prosper. He has stewarded well in the midst of difficulty. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through quickly just a few areas of stewardship. What I want you to hear today is not that this is how I steward, but the call to develop it for yourself within your life, okay? And so, in the, in the start of this, what I want you to hear is the invitation of Jesus. And in James chapter 2, James chapter 2 looks back to the life of Abraham when he's about to sacrifice his one son, his promised son, that all, all of Israel will be built upon. And he's called to sacrifice him on the altar. And he willingly goes to do it, right, until, until the Lord stops him. And, and so in James chapter 2, he, he looks back at Abraham, and he says about Abraham, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And so the invitation today is to work with Jesus your faith and actions working together, okay? And so let's just quickly walk through a couple of areas of stewardship. This is not going to cover every area of your life because you all have areas I don't have, right? You all have areas that your neighbor doesn't have. But here's some key areas. And the first area of stewardship is the stewardship of the temple. And what is the temple? Your body is the temple. In 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, the context for this is sexual immorality. However, there are all kinds of ways that you can dishonor a temple. Uh, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you are bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now this one people don't like to talk about I like to talk about this one though. If you go back and you look at when God gave the temple requirements to Moses. They were very detailed, weren't they? They were very specific, down to minute things. And so obviously in the Old Testament, this was something of importance, the temple. All of that detail put value and importance upon the temple. And now, now that we live in the new covenant, your body, everybody say my body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is not my own. Uh Uh-oh, that one didn't get quite as loud. It is not my own. It's been bought with a price. It belongs to God. And that means I have to steward that which has been given to me. That means I have to be intentional about taking care of that which has been given to me. And so when you start thinking about stewarding your body. Don't get me started on nutrition. I told Darren, I'd love to have time to have a class about nutrition and health, but I don't, and so you can all breathe a sigh of relief. It's important how we treat this temple, whether it is in the area of sexual purity whether it is the area and how you care for it from the physical standpoint of what you feed it and how you treat it. You should value this gift that you have been given for it houses the spirit of God. It houses the spirit of God. And so there should be an intentionality upon it. I want, I want to serve God as long as I can, as hard as I can, until I draw my last breath. And as soon as I hit that 40 mark, it changed how I, and now I've always, from the time I was in junior high, I've always been interested in health and nutrition, But when I became 40, I began to think differently because I began to think about how I'm going to end my race. And I want to end my race healthy and strong so I can continue to do that which he has called me to do. And so how you treat your body, what you feed your body, exercise, all of that good stuff, that's important. That is part of stewarding your body. Now I'll get off of that. The second area here is to steward the work of your hands. So whether it's your job, whether it's the work of your home. In Genesis 2, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And in Colossians 3, whatever you do, do it heartily. That would be the opposite of half-heartedly. As to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality. Whatever you do, do it heartily. Whether you are working a job you don't want to work. You do it heartily because you're not doing it for man. You're doing it for, unto Jesus. Whether it's the care of your home, whether it's the, the care of your ministry, wh- whether it's your vehicle, whether, whatever it is that you have that is the work of your hands, we do it heartily as unto the Lord. And I love this. It doesn't say perfectly. Yes, yes. A loophole. (laughs) No. (laughs) But it says to do it unto the Lord, not perfectly, but where I am striving to do something for Jesus, I will give it my best. And my best might look different than your best. I'm not calling for perfection here. And honestly, there's this place within the church. uh, I'm all about doing things as excellently as possible. But what it calls us to is to do it unto the Lord heartily. And and what you can do and what I can do, we all have different giftings. But the question is, are you doing it heartily unto the Lord? It might just get some attention from your coworkers. If your attitude at your workplace is that of doing it unto Jesus right that might get some notice if you're not doing it out of obligation you're not doing it just out of a paycheck you're doing it unto the lord jesus that means your work ethic will look a little different from everybody else's and your attitude number the third area is steward of the provision of the finances How to steward that which has been given to us financially. And in Deuteronomy 8, it's interesting because in verse 18, it says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And for some people, this is just a hard area. Um, If you especially if you come from a family of of history where there was not taught how to take care of finances or how to to live a certain way. If you've not had that, if you've had a history of just difficulty in this area, it's going to be very hard for you. But this is the, the promise. He gives you power to do this. That means that despite what my family has taught me or given to me, I have the ability in God to learn how to steward well. And so there's just three things here within this. This is a whole lesson in itself. But first of all, provision is a gift. You might have to work awfully hard, but praise the Lord, you have the ability to work awfully hard. There are places like in Cuba Where there's not that ability to, I mean, you're constrained by the government. And so, yet the gospel works in every context. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And so provision and the ability to get provision is a gift. Second, we give back to God. What is his gift? And Malachi, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Try me in this and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And so we give back to God out of what he has first given to me. We call that first fruits, our tithe. And as much as we love to partner, as you give, we're able to do the work of the ministry. The offering is also that the heavens might be opened over your life personally. And as you give, it suddenly is no longer yours. Once it leaves your hands, it's no longer yours. It's God's, right? And it opens up the door for a release of heaven over your life. And so it, it's in part of stewardship There is acknowledging these principles that God has given to us, and this is one of them. And then the last area here I want to address, there's all kinds of resources out there, Christian resources even, on how to steward your money, how to take care of it. What I want us to hear today is the heart issues within it. And this last one is generosity with the gift. You will never prosper just by being stingy in an effort to save yourself. But in Luke, it says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And so here's an example of this. A man tells of going to professional baseball games and trying to get a souvenir baseball. How many of you have ever caught a ball at a game? Anybody? Nobody here. Nick, you have? Nick has caught a ball. Wow. A foul ball, a home run, or even a batting practice ball, anything would do for this man. So he was taking in batting practice for the St. Louis Cardinals. Ooh, as I watched Mark McGuire and his teammates, I got to know, I know, a five-year-old boy who was also trying to get a ball. His name was James, and he tried hard to pronounce the players' names as he politely asked for a ball. Mr. Timwin, Timlin, can I have a ball, please? Before I knew it, my mission became getting a ball for James. For about 20 minutes, I told him the names of the players who had a ball near the fence we stood behind, and the players turned and smiled as James tried to say their names. Still no ball. Finally, I told James he could have my ball if I caught one. I had been unsuccessful in catching a ball for 28 years. So that felt like a safe promise. I wouldn't be telling the story if you didn't know what happened five minutes later. I caught a ball. And yes, I gave it to James. I wonder how often God waits to give us something until we are willing to give it away. Stewardship isn't just learning how to budget wisely and live within your means. It has the the issues of the heart. It has the principles of the kingdom of God that we have to walk in. And often the principles of the kingdom don't make sense to the world. What do you mean give and you'll get back? What do you mean when you're hurting to give out something? That doesn't make sense. That's the way it is, though, isn't it? And it's it's these moments when we test what's really in our heart. Because the financial issues really become tests of your trust in God. They become tests of who you are dependent upon, God or self. And they become tests of your generosity. I love in the New Testament because often Paul talks about how how out of their extreme poverty, they gave generously and joyfully. That is kingdom-mindedness. And this is the place that stewardship from a financial standpoint have to flow out of. The next area is the stewardship of people. And this begins with your family, how you steward your relationships and the people that God has gifted you with. The people that God has put into your life are gifts. And so we have to steward those gifts Well. And, and so at, in 1 Peter, it says in chapter 4... Oh, no, nope, I'm sorry. Go up to Luke 6. That's the next one. Go over to Luke chapter 6 in your Bibles for a few moments. This is part of a couple of chapters where Jesus just really gets into the heart of issues of life. And so in Luke chapter 6... He finishes the, the Beatitudes, right? And after he finishes the Beatitudes, he gets into a wonderful passage in verse 27. Now, I believe that the stewarding begins with your family, but I believe if you will go to this extreme, you will steward your family well. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak that steals from you, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. And here he gets to the heart of the matter. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Anybody can love the people that love us. You don't get points for that. But if you love the, and let's see, did I? What credit is that to you? Still in verse 32. For even sinners love those who love them. So you don't have to be even a Christ follower to do that. Right? The call of Jesus goes above and beyond. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Oh yeah, I'll treat them nice. They've been nice to me. You don't get points for that either. For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back verse 35, but love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Listen, that wasn't even about be okay if you get nothing in return. It says hope for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. Wow. If we live this out, you will have no problem extending. The relationships begin, there's no excuse to not be kind to your family, right? Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking about abusive situations, That's a whole nother area. I'm talking about in the average family where, you know, everything is good. The one another's within the Bible are a lot. There's a lot of one another verses. Prefer one another. I, I think it's sad that we have to be told in the Bible to be kind to one another, but it does. It says be kind to one another. It says to bear with one another again this doesn't mean if they are easy to bear bear them if the command is given to bear with somebody it means they're difficult to bear with in this room there's enough people here that you are going to have a personality clash with somebody here in this room And you will want to sit on the other side of the room, away from them. Come potluck time next week, you will not first and go sit at the table with them. I see some of you laughing. Have we been having some discussions lately? No, we love everybody. If we cannot do what he is calling us to do to our enemies, to people within the body of Christ, then there are some issues in my heart I have to... I'm not stewarding well relationships. To steward relationships well means I have to do it the way Jesus calls me to do it. I don't choose how to steward well with relationships. He has told me how to steward well. And so... uh, I have no problem hanging out with my girls. We just went hiking yesterday. We had fun. It it was no effort to do that. No hardship to do that. But it's the ones where I have personality conflict what the Bible does is they call, it calls it iron sharpening iron. There are people here that will sharp, they'll grate against you like iron sharpening iron. But that you need one another. You need one another to soften edges, to bring compassion, to bring empathy into your life. And yet we shy away, and we ignore, and we snub people that we have a personality conflict with. That we don't like the way they're doing things, that they just get on our nerves. Listen, Jesus' call here is so clear. And I would like to say that I never will treat somebody that way, but I have flesh. I have a human side, right? I am human. And so I will often be confronted with those that drive me crazy. And hopefully, as I'm maturing in my faith, I am becoming more and more like Christ, so that even as we read at the bottom that I would be a son or a daughter of the Most High. This qualifies me to be a son or a daughter, how I treat people. Because he is kind. And when I was unloving, when I was not a nice person, he was kind to me. He was merciful to me. And so who am I to withhold kindness and mercy from people? And so stewarding people well. I feel like, you know, some of these areas will be easier for you than for others. Maybe you have no trouble stewarding your finances. Maybe you have no trouble stewarding your body. I feel like we can all kind of be tested, though, in this area. Because we all will have at some point conflict with people. Whether you're very good natured or not, there will be conflict that will come up. And and so we can brush it under the rug or we can learn about how Jesus deals Jesus had conflict within his group. If Jesus has conflict within his group, I guarantee you you're gonna have conflict. And so how do we deal with how do we steward that well? And so the, steward of, the stewardship of relationships begins with not, I say it begins with the family, um, but really if it begins with how we love the enemy, you, if you do that well, you will, you'll treat everybody well, right? That's the extreme end of it. So stewarding people well. And then we're going to keep moving here because we need to get somewhere, um, stewarding the gift that God has given to each of you spiritually. You each have been given spiritual giftings. And in First Peter, it says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You each have been given a gift that somebody else needs. This is why we say as wonderful as the online was for a season, it cannot replace this because we each have gifts to give one another and your gift is important to the body. If God has you here, it's because you have a gift to give to somebody and somebody has a gift to give to you. And to steward the gift well means I don't sit on my gift and hide it like the one talent person Darren talked about last week. We don't just hide that talent, that gift away. No, we we pull it out and we use it within the body. And so that's part of stewarding that which you have been given, how you use it, whether you waste the gift by not using it or whether you utilize it and so steward the gift that he has given to you and and just a final thing that i want to add is how you steward your time is important and i've had to learn this one because i people say most people need to learn how to say no to things but in a lot of times people need to learn how to say yes to some things and so how you steward your time what you use for the kingdom of god how you what you give to your family what you give to I mean, there's something in our society that is always calling out for you, time-wise. And sometimes it's hard to know what do I give up of myself first, time-wise. Because my family needs my time. My job needs my time. My school needs my time. My church needs my time. My spouse needs my time. I need my time. There's things that clamor for our time. And so... Knowing, God, what does this look like for me? What are my priorities and what order of priorities? Knowing how to steward your time well. We have one life we've been given, and then it's done, where we get to go be with Jesus forever. But this life here on earth, we have one destined time. And that big, long life is full of A lot of days, a lot of hours, and a lot of minutes of choices we make with our time. So there's a lot of areas that we steward. And as I was praying through this message, I really felt here at the end, the Lord put this on my heart to share Because often when you have been trying to steward something well and you have not been able to, you feel like for years I've been trying and I haven't succeeded well, shame can begin to come. Condemnation, feeling like "Ah, I'm just, I'm unworthy. All of these, the enemy can really use that to, to speak lies to you. And so what I want you to hear today is the Father's heart concerning this. And, and stewardship, bad stewardship, where you have just messes in life that have to be dealt with. Sometimes these messes come because we've been bad stewards, right? We have not stewarded well. We haven't had good skills. Sometimes, though, these messes come because of uncontrollable situations that are not, uh, through no fault of your own, You're, you have a mess in your life now to deal with, right? Um, if, if you come from a divorced situation and your spouse made a mess of the finances that you had inherited, now you have this mess you have to begin to steward. If you have a family history of heart disease, now you have a heart issue, you got this mess you have to deal with, Right? So sometimes the messes that we have been given to steward they're not our faults. But often it can feel like it can get very personal for us. And so I want us to take a moment to look at 2 Kings chapter 4. Joseph was one of those. It was not through any fault of his own that he found himself in prison or sold into slavery. But he stewarded well when he found himself in that mess. Job. Job was very wealthy, had a wonderful family, and then the Lord allowed Satan access and took everything from him. And yet at the end he had even more than he had at the beginning. He stewarded well through it. And now we're going to see another a widow who, through no fault of her own, now finds herself having to steward a mess. And so in 2 Kings chapter 4, we have the story of Elisha. And in verse 1, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Now, this was a widow in a day where she couldn't just widows were depend they, they didn't go, the women didn't go out and get jobs to support themselves. They were very dependent on the men. And so for her to lose her husband, she's lost her source. So this was not, she's not in this financial mess because of what she had done. She had inherited this. And so uh, we were in verse 1. Now she's facing her sons being taken into slavery. Can you imagine? We have debt here and all we have is some credit or some interest rates that can be crippling. But we don't have our children being taken from us. And so this was a a huge thing she's facing, a huge mess. And so Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me. What do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now, here's the first key that I feel when you have an area where you've not stewarded well, there's been a lot of shame, a lot of brokenness, and a lot of mess. I really felt the Lord saying, You have to face it. Because often when we're in the mess, we want to avoid it. We want to pretend like it doesn't exist. Because it's painful to face it. It's, it. it's painful if it's been our own mistakes, it's painful to face. And if it's been a mess from somebody else, it's still, it's personal and it's painful. And we, our, our human nature wants to avoid that. And so we do everything we can to ignore and pretend it doesn't exist. But what I heard the Spirit saying is, face it. The truth shall do what? Set you free. And facing your truth, whether it's a good truth or a bad truth, brings freedom. The truth shall set you free. Face the area that is a struggle for you in stewardship. Face it daily. You can have a moment today where you face it, but if you don't wake up tomorrow and face it, and you don't wake up Tuesday and face it, pretty soon when... You get alone, and, and you start to get all the negative voices of the enemy. You're going to want to avoid it again. And you got to keep facing truth until God brings you all the way through the truth. And so she, as she is talking to Elisha, she faces the truth. My husband is dead. This is my truth. And the creditor is coming to take my sons, who one day could be her provider. So this is her truth. And she's facing it, and she's confessing it to Elisha. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you hear me say this often because this is a life verse for me. And he said to me, this is where Paul is asking. He's got the thorn in the flesh, and he wants it removed. And he asked the Lord for it to be removed. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in, in strength? No, in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I, would, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, needs, persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen, when you face the truth, and if your truth is a weakness, <laughs> this is where there's no shame and condemnation. God isn't saying, I oh, you have a weakness, I want nothing to do with that weakness or you. No, it's the weakness that he draws near to. So when you face your truth, and your truth is weakness, you now have opportunity with Christ. But as long as you keep avoiding those areas of weakness, you are not enabling the power of Christ to come and rest on you. (sighs) If we could just get a hold... This is where the kingdom of God is not like this world. And and he does things differently. We face it, and he comes into it. And so this widow is facing her weakness. And he asks the question, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? What do you have? What do you, often we're consumed with what I don't have. I don't have this in my marriage. I don't have this with my children. I don't have this with my money. I don't have this with my, uh, with my time. We get so focused on what I don't have. And the whole time, the Lord's saying, what do you have? Because what you think is not enough, when God comes in, it doesn't matter. What do you have in your house? And she has a jar of oil. And he says, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. It reminds me, and I think Darren preached a message at the beginning of the year on multiplication. But it always takes me back to the place of of the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus takes the bread and the fish, just a few, and he has 5,000 people. And you can get focused on, I don't have enough to feed the 5,000. And we can get consumed with that. And it can paralyze you to not do anything then. Because I don't have enough, so I'm not even going to try. And yet, God is saying, what do you have? Because if you'll take what I have, and as Jesus did, bless it, break it, offer it up multiplication of the kingdom comes in. And he does what only he can do. This is that beautiful partnership where we do our part and he does his part and we work together. And so she goes to get all of these vessels. And when you come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons then pour it pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones so she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son bring me another vessel and he said to her there is not another vessel interesting thoughts she could have had as much oil as she had gotten had faith of vessels for. So the oil ceased. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your son shall live on the rest. When you take what you have in your house and you bring it to your father... And his blessing resides on it. You shall have enough. You shall have enough. You shall have enough. And so stewardship isn't just about you figuring out how to meet this need. Stewardship is about hearing what God says to do with what you have in your house. And so you can plan all you want for what you have in your house. But there comes a moment when God says, wait a minute, here's what I want you to do with what you have in your house. And if we'll obey the word of the Lord, if we'll obey the word of the Lord, if we will obey the word of the Lord, the provision is released. That is good stewardship. When you take what you have in your house, in your relationships, in your marriage. I was thinking about that as we were singing that song today um, about passion, offering our passion, all of our passion. I thought, you know, as I offer all of my passion to Jesus, it doesn't take away from my marriage passion. It should multiply the passion in my life so that I have even more in my marriage. That's how this works. What do you have? And when you take what you have and you obey the word of God, suddenly you're stewarding well. You're stewarding well. This is a beautiful partnership invitation that I want you to hear today. This message isn't now, go out and figure out how to do everything perfectly, no. This message is, if you want to steward well, let's begin to partner. God cares about the details in your life. He cares about what you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He cares about what you do at your job. He cares about what you do in your fun time. He cares about what you do within your relationships, and he wants to be a part of it. In Matthew 11, when you hear a message on stewardship, it can begin to feel just a heaviness because all you feel is a sense of failure, the places that you have failed in. But that's, this is not the heart of the Father. Matthew 11 says, "'Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, "'and I will give you rest. "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me.'" He's invited you to come and learn from him. He's not said you need to be a good steward of all of these things. He said, come and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is a beautiful invitation. He never wanted you to do this on your own. He never wanted you to struggle with relationships on your own, with your home on your own, with your health. on. He wants to be a part, to be yoked to Jesus, right? If you have two animals, they're yoked together, side by side, accomplishing the job. And let me just say, when we're yoked with Jesus, He's really doing most of the work. We're just kind of walking along with him. He's, doing, he's carrying the, the brunt of the, the, the work. And we just get to partner with him. And, and so it's a call to this invitation of partnership with Jesus. And so I want to bring us back to this verse in James If our team wants to come forward, and if you want to pull out your communion, we're going to, in a few moments, partake. In James, again, it said, You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. If you... Brian's coming around with communion. If you didn't get it, you can just lift up your hands and he'll bring you some. We have those that would be on this side that says, I'm just going to sit here and let God take care of everything. And then we have these on this side that will say, I'm going to do everything that I can in my own power. It's this balance. My, it's, it's the two working together. Faith and Actions working together complete it and so this morning i don't know what your area is that you have trouble with stewarding i don't know if it's been about a lot of people that i meet with that have areas where this is a struggle it, it it's a real emotional struggle it's a real area of defeat. And what I want to do today is to say, let's, let's not let the enemy use our weaknesses as a punching bag area for us. Because often we do because we think we deserve it. I deserve to be beat up in this area. I should be doing better. No, what I want you to begin to do today is to change how you're looking at the area of stewardship that has been a struggle for you. Because I believe, because of the, that, that word that says, it's in my weaknesses that he comes. It's in my weaknesses that he is strong and his power is released to me. So I want us to begin to change how we're looking at the areas of weakness and I want them to become places where in the end when you allow, when you face the truth of them and you allow him in, they will become your strongest areas. This is the power of Jesus at work within you. What was once your weakest areas can now become your strongest areas, not because of you but because you have faced your truth. And his power and his strength have come into those places. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God knows my areas of weakness and I continue. I'm, this, I'm of the sort that I don't need the devil to beat me up. I'm sufficient at beating myself up. <laughs> yeah, that's you. I can just, I can really go to town on myself. And I don't know if I have said this, I feel like I have, but when I ended up being trapped, felt trapped for a while, I confess, um, in Texas while waiting for Edmund to be born, crammed into this little housing apartment at CFNI, tiny, tiny place, there for three and a half weeks, sleeping on my son's couch, trying to help my daughter-in-law move this birth along. I was like, God, this child has to come. I cannot do this anymore. I'm sitting here with nothing to do. I can't do this. And there was one time I was just spending some time alone walking around the campus. And I just began to, this is where I can beat myself up. I began to say, I realized I was dreading waking up in the mornings. I didn't want to get up and out of bed. And suddenly, through my mind, I started thinking, God, I feel like I have failed in my marriage. I feel like I've failed as a mom. I feel like I've failed as this. Every area of my life, I started realizing, I feel like I've failed in this area, Lord. And so no wonder I don't want to get out of bed. Who wants to go about a day where it doesn't matter what you're doing that day, you feel like you've failed in it. And the Lord said to me, as I began to list all the areas. It was like a revelation to me that I was feeling this way about every, now I mean really, can all of us really fail in every area? But I was really feeling that way and the Lord said, you're carrying a spirit of failure and you need to get rid of it. I'm not kidding, that Sunday I went to church with them. Every song every song either dealt with my uh, My own failure, or how God will never fail me. Every one of them. It's like, yes, Lord, I hear what you're saying to me. We got to change at this moment, and and I would love to say I've completely overcome it, but that's my nature—is to look through that lens. But since then, I have begun to try to change how I look at my areas of weaknesses and make them opportunities for Christ. And you know what? When God comes into those areas, you know there's nothing I can boast in that I have done. This is God. Only God can take my weaknesses and make them places of strength and of power. Only God can do that. And all glory and honor go to him. And there's no boasting in flesh, but there's boasting in him.